Um, today I am recording episode number two of the Imperfect Podcast. I'm with my good friend here, Josh, from high school. Um, we know each other pretty well. We were pretty close in high school. Yeah, we were. Um, we've always been very open, honest, and really got to know each other really well during our during our time at, at high school, and, and we've carried that throughout Um our university days where, where we meet up and we just discuss life. We're very uh, in tune with each other. We, we respect each other a lot. Um, so I'm really happy to have you on my podcast today, Josh. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Um, uh, introduce yourself a bit. Let the world a little t- or let the world know who you are in just a little bit. Your your passions, where you go to school, what? Um, so, yeah, as Luke said, I'm Josh. Uh, I was uh, we, we met in high school. I've been at university at Waterloo doing science of business, but I don't really do science. I do science, but I'm I'm working mostly in data science and that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. lately. Uh, But the biggest thing, I think most people that know me know this about me, is that I love reading, I love books, I love literature, I love new ideas, I love talking about ideas and that sort of stuff. So that's Mm -hmm. like my my thing, I guess. Yeah. People want to learn about me. He reads a lot, so I definitely recommend following him on Instagram. Uh, Follow me on Goodreads. Well, on Goodreads. You guys should all... If you if you read it all, you need to be on Goodreads because that's the place to be. Yeah, even though it's got the website design of a, have something in the nineties. Yeah, 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 it's an awful website design. I've used it. And I'm like, this is so unorganized that I don't know how to use it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Josh reads probably the most diverse out of anyone I've ever met, and it's like, how does he even find these books? I don't really know. Goodreads. Um, well, no, Goodreads. that's not true. Yeah. But partly Goodreads. Goodreads is a pretty good recommendation algorithm. They, yeah. They give you good stuff, but um, I, I seek a lot of stuff out. Yeah. So. And he also creates this really cool Excel catalog no, oh, collage yeah. at the end of the year yeah. um, with with all the information about like different genders, different regions, yeah. different authors, um, different genres. And it's really interesting. Um, something I always look forward to at the end of the year from this guy. My recap, yeah. Yeah, his recap. And so, you know, definitely one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life because he's so well-rounded in his, in his knowledge. Sure. Um, but uh, today we're just going to talk about masculinity. We've always had very open conversations together. We're recording this in the Wilfrid Laurier University Library right now where I'm up for homecoming. Um, <laughs> so this is recovery day. Um, but first question that I really want to ask you about is um, what do you define masculinity as in your own life? What does it mean to you? I think... Masculinity is a kind of a tricky concept because I think, like you, you know, I, I listened to your first episode. And you, we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. So that means so many different things to so many different people, and a lot of it is, you know, the people that you have around you, people like your parents and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think for me, masculinity is a lot about, you know, less about I would say what traditional, what you think of in traditional masculinity. I think mm-hmm. a lot of it is just like being having confidence in yourself, enjoying who you are. But I feel like. I always look up to people, even though they don't necessarily fall into like neat boxes of what you would consider as mas- masculine, as long as they're like confident in themselves that they're, you know, they enjoy all the things that they do, all the hobbies that they have, the interests that they have, they, mm-hmm. you know, are fully embrace all that as part of the person mm-hmm. um, and aren't self-conscious about that. I think that's what to me defines as a, yeah, someone that is 
truly in control of their masculinity as well as i think and we've also talked about this is like that defines like how they interact with their relationships someone mm-hmm. that is like and i got this a lot from you know i had uh my dad is a you know he's a pretty devout christian he mm-hmm. works in the church doing like divorce care ministry and that sort of stuff he's like very involved in that and like a lot of the stuff that i've learned about what it means to be masculine is like to be loving to be caring to be that sort mm-hmm. of stuff yeah i think you know i wouldn't consider myself a christian but mm-hmm. i definitely a lot of the teachings of that part of my life definitely bleeds into like the relationships that i have and that sort of stuff and i think that is a huge portion to me and i think mm-hmm. we both talked about that is so that's core component of masculinity. Yeah, that's interesting. So in that, do you feel that a lot of your understanding of masculinity comes from your dad? I would say, yeah, I, I would say, I wouldn't say all of it. And mm-hmm. I think we all have influences from, you know, teachers, from, you know, people in the media, from people that you look up to, like outside, you know, sports, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, yeah, I would say my dad has been a big component of what, uh, I feel is like what it means to be you know, a self-assured, to be a man in itself, you know? Because yeah. one of the things I'm actually very fascinated by as I go on this journey is to figure out where men feel like they get their masculinity from. Mm-hmm. And I think in the common age of, you know, men being more kind, generous, loving, a lot of them say they get it from their from their moms. Um, you know, Gautam, who I had on last oh, yeah, week, yeah, yeah. he said the same thing. He's like, you know, I get a lot... like. He feels or felt that I think of a lot of his masculinity comes from his relationship with his mother, mm-hmm. um, which I find is very interesting among a lot of guys is that it doesn't really come at least the po- like the more positive yeah, aspects yeah, yeah. that we seem yeah. to seem to believe that are now in the age of masculinity. A lot of people don't think they come from their father, mm-hmm. which I'm really fascinated by as like I continue this. And uh, so I'm really happy that you said you get it from your dad because I think I get do you get it from your dad? Yeah. Throwing the conversation back on you? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I, I kind of brought it up last week, but like my dad is the most loving, caring, generous, kind yeah, person yeah. ever. Mm-hmm. And um, I always tell people, if I'm, if I'm half the man my dad is, then yeah. I'm very happy with where I'm going to be. Um, so I just wanted to touch on that and yeah. be like, you know, it's really that's really cool how it's your dad that showed you those mm-hmm. parts because mm-hmm. I don't think um, that happens enough. That it's like, normally you get your mm-hmm. your confidence your bravado your ego or you know a lot of that more self-assuredness that you were talking about from your dad mm-hmm. but very rarely does it like oh i i also get the the loving generous true side true. yeah from my dad that normally comes from my mom yeah i i don't i didn't think that's i can never see that i never really thought of it in that term in those terms but mm-hmm. i can never see that once you've been talking to a lot of people that that would come out mm-hmm. uh but yeah, I've always, you know, I've always, I think I've always gotten that from my dad. And that's not to say like my mom isn't yeah. all those traits as well. But I feel like, and I probably didn't realize this like for a while, but in the last like few years, I'm reflecting more on this, this sort of stuff. And I definitely yeah. feel like that comes from there for sure. That's dope. Happy about that. Um, shout out to Josh's dad. Um, and then in terms of, you know, I guess other male role models in your life. I know you grew up uh, a student athlete too. You were in swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in athletics, there's obviously um, some of the tension and, and ideas of of masculinity, and it's more toxic. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you experienced that as much in swimming, mm-hmm. but like, kind of what were your, what was your experience and other yeah. mentorship growing up, and uh, definitely being an athlete. I think 
And swimming is a bit interesting. I feel when I talk to other competitive athletes, like let's say in hockey or like other mm. traditional team sports, I think it's a bit the experience of like boys growing up like as teenagers and that sort of stuff. It is definitely different. I feel like we as swimmers were really close with each other. We were like, obviously we're very comfortable with each other's like bodies. And yeah. Stuff. Like I know that's a huge like topic in terms of masculinity and feminism and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But because essentially you're like half naked almost all the time. Yeah. Like no one is ever, like everyone's very comfortable with each other. Like, uh, in terms of in terms of that sense and i always felt that it never felt that idea you have of like toxic masculinity in the locker room i never felt that way and so that i think it was a really good environment to kind of grow up and i honestly like i think swimming is a really good sport for young boys and, and that sort of stuff mm-hmm. and mostly because i think you know it doesn't have that same uh baggage as some other team sports like mm-hmm. i don't i don't think like not every team is like that but i think there's kind of a legacy of like perpetuated, mm-hmm. not necessarily toxicity, but some types of behaviors, right? Yeah. Like, uh, and I felt, I don't know, I always felt that way about swimming. I thought it was always good. Yeah. In that sense. In terms of mentors, um, I don't know. I think my, I, I was always cl- like, my first like long coach was Brian. Uh, and a second was Rob, but I never felt super close to them. I think yeah. I felt, I think I felt closer to, my coach, my first coach, Brian, but it never felt, he kind of had sort of a, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't, I would hesitate to call it a fatherly figure on mm. the team, but it was definitely, it was more of a close mentorship relationship that I had with him than mm. with my second coach, which is Rob, who was a bit more distant, I guess. Yeah. But, um, I would, I would say the good thing about the coach, both of the coaches that I had though, was that they were kind of strict mm-hmm. as in like they always like pushed pushed me harder than i would before and i think i really thrived under those circumstances mm-hmm. i think and I, I do that now like I, I haven't really you know i used to exercise so much because i was a student athlete and that's mm-hmm. all that and then recently i haven't been exercising that much and i think part of that is because i don't have a strong like almost disciplinarian behind me like mm-hmm. i need that like and i think al- almost all coaches are like that they try to like push you they create a, a structured environment to push you to like higher heights mm-hmm. i haven't really had that in terms of like my exercise and athletics i think i've been able to carry that with me like so that through swimming like i kind of learned how to push myself more and mm-hmm. i do that outside like other more like other activities like when i i do a lot of learning outside of school mm-hmm. as, as you've heard i yeah. read a lot and that sort of stuff i practice a lot and different things and i think i took that from kind of environments that i had with coaching and that's sort of, all that mm-hmm. but I definitely think I thrive under the circumstances where I have like sort of quote unquote a boss that kind of is still supportive, like not like uh, hostile or anything, mm-hmm. but really is kind of strict, pushes yeah. you to be the best you can be. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to what you said earlier about, you know, I, I, my personal opinion is that, you know, parents are the ones that are disciplinary, like, mm-hmm. and, but they also have to show a more loving side. And so I think the idea of, being strict coming from yeah, yeah. outside of your parents. I think that's why it's so important to be, have those different mentors. Cause I, yeah. I don't think like for me, mm-hmm. my parents aren't the most strict, like maybe cause I'm the youngest of four. <laughs> and then not only, I feel like, you know, I've, I've benefited from my parents maturing through my three older siblings a lot more and like learning from their dealings with them. So I like, I definitely think I maybe get, got the 
Bestra? What I don't know what the, what's the phrase or the um I'm so dumb, but uh, the oh drew the best draw. Drew the best draw. There we go. There we go. That's, <laughs> that's the term. Um, I definitely think I, I got the benefit of the doubt a lot in that, and I I've seen my parents grow a lot through their parenting. Um, but I, you know, I, I definitely don't think that parents are the ones that should always be the yeah. ones that enforce the strict aspect of life, just because they are the one. You, you can be both unconditionally loving and strict, but mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. I don't really think they go well hand in hand, and that's that's why you have other mentors in your life, so I'm happy you brought that up. Yeah, I think, like, the source of, you know, we're influenced so much by all the people around you. Like, you can't just draw on, you can't rely and draw on one source to, like, mm-hmm. inform who you should be, whether mm-hmm. it's talking about masculinity or anything, really. Mm-hmm. So I think it's always important, and I, that's why I think, you know, it, it is important or at least I think it is a good benefit for kids to do sports yeah. just because you get exposed to those types of role models and you get that from school, you get that from other places, but yeah, I think yeah. that's a huge, it's a huge benefit other than just, you know, being active, you know, mm. OPC is such a big problem, but yeah, it's not just being active. There's a lot of like mental, like uh, less quantifiable aspects to yeah. these types of things. I don't know. So uh, I guess in re- you kind of brought up the whole team versus more individualist aspect of swimming. Do you think that, those ish, those um, systems or ecosystems have an in, more of an impact on masculinity, like, or they're they're just different. Like, do you think being an individual sport versus a team one, there's there's a difference there? I think there is a difference. Um, I don't I don't know if I because I've never really. So I did do some team sports when I was younger, like mm-hmm. before I started swimming seriously. I really didn't have time after that, but I never really got into. The team sport dynamic especially as a teenager where i think these things affect you probably a bit more or like influence you a bit more is probably mm-hmm. the better word um so I, w- I don't know if i have anything to say directly about comparing them i think like when we talk about generally talking about you know looking at we as, as individuals versus we as like communities or that sort of stuff i think it does have a big impact mm-hmm. and we see that a lot when we talk about uh stuff that's happening uh like in society right now, we're talking about now like the epidemic of like mass shooters and predominantly men, almost always men. Always white. Who, mostly white. Mostly white. Yeah. But whether or not these types of forces are at play in all like racial communities, ethnic communities, I think a large part of it is men feeling alone and being, and you can still be individualistic and mm-hmm. not be alone, but I think there is something to that. Yeah. Uh, I feel like a lot of guys... Um, feel a need to always do things on their own uh, and I, I don't I don't believe in that mm-hmm. I feel like that can be really unhealthy and I think you, we've, we've talked about this as well yeah um, and whether or not you get that from you know from sports and stuff like that I'm not sure yeah uh, but I definitely think it's a huge you know driver on mm-hmm. different behaviors that we see yeah most different types of people I yeah I definitely agree like school shoot or mass shootings and like we're from i'm from canada for anyone who doesn't know me right now listening to this podcast um but with like mass shootings i remember the last time though there i don't even know if this was the last time there's school or the mass shootings because they happen very frequently Mm -hmm. um but it was the dayton ohio one and the el paso texas that happened on the same weekend Mm -hmm. and i remember driving up to waterloo um, listening to uh, two or three podcasts on the shootings, and I just remember being so angry that there's so much anger. Mm-hmm. And I 
I read this book by uh, now shamed gender studies, Mm -hmm. Michael Kimmel, um, about, and it's called Angry White Men. And like, think how you want about Michael Kimmel. um, But this book goes in, there's a chapter that goes really in depth on young men and school shooters. And I think it's the most interesting, one of the most interesting chapters of any book I've ever read in my life Mm. in regards to, you know, there's this anger that men hold and then they take that out. And it's Mm -hmm. like all this, he calls it like a grieved entitlement um, Hmm. where it's like you, you hold resentment for something that you think is yours, but it really never was. But because white men have become so accustomed to thinking that they earn it. So like the male privilege, Mm -hmm. then we are upset that people come in and take it from us when they're not really taking it. They've earned it. Um, And yeah, my, I've always struggled with like different explanations of what is causing. Yeah. And I think that's, that, that is an interesting hypothesis, but at the same time, it's like, aren't similar forces at play in lots of other Western countries, but we don't see that level of violence. Yeah. We don't see that epidemic and like, okay, there, there's been lots of, you know, psychological, psychological research on these types of behaviors, murders, suicides, like copycats are a big thing, but Mm -hmm. I don't think that, is enough to explain everything yeah. that has happened. Obviously, uh, and the rates that these incidents happen in the United States are so much higher by the population than any mm-hmm. other place in the world. And I just, I don't know what it is. I don't know. I, for me, I just think the the state of the states is they run a lot on fueling anger, and I don't think I think Western like Western Europe is much more relaxed. They, they don't yeah, yeah. really run on outrage media yeah, yeah. or a lot of the things that America tends to seem to run on a bit more. Um, that would be one, I think, example of it. Also, I just think, you know, the America's number one aspect of it probably plays a lot into it. Mm-hmm. Um parenting like i don't know either but i'm fascinated by mass shootings and how come they're mostly white men Mm -hmm. and how just like how that happens and so i when you kind of what brought me to this point was you saying guys feel like they have to do things alone yeah which was one of the reasons i wanted to start this podcast is because i think we always feel like we have to go through through things alone i've never really felt the pressure to do things alone Mm -hmm. um you know growing up i was I didn't really have a lot of male friends, I would say. And it, but I, even in high school, I always felt that a lot of the guys around me were not maturing at the same pace that I was. Like, they didn't want to have these types of conversations mm-hmm. when these have always been the conversations I've loved to have. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've been very happy over the last four years that my like a lot of my guy friends are now at this stage where we want to open up, we want to express ourselves in these ways. Um, and I think, you know, I think I said it in my introduction uh, that... I think anger and shame are the two most toxic, poisonous emotions in men. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, the more shame you have, the more angry you get. And then you don't, if you don't deal with your shame, you get more angry. And if you don't deal with your anger, you feel more ashamed. And it's just like these two, you, they just pull in opposite directions, but they keep pulling further and further and further. And there seems to be lo- no limitation. And that is how you get school shooters. Mm-hmm. Like that isn't proven or anything like that. That's my yeah, yeah, hypothesis of it. Um, and uh, I, I don't know what it is. And I, I am someone that, who's a big proponent of being alone. Like, 
not doing things alone, but being alone mm-hmm. and thinking and just reflecting. I think that's, I think we, I, I think most people need that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I meant more in the sense of, you know, feeling alone. alone. Yeah. yeah. Or having to, not being able or not being confident enough to be able to express things to other people, mm-hmm. to express emotions and feelings and be able to talk about those, those, those sorts of things. So how do you think we get to that place in, in society that more men are comfortable doing it? Either, um, you know, I, I think the world is changing and being like, mm-hmm. hey, a, a dude's going to therapy. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Like even for me, when I, I've said to people that once, as soon as like, I know I want to marry someone, I'd like to enter couples counseling with, with them, even if there's no negative thing, like I want to be proactive mm-hmm. in it. And I'm very open about saying that, you know, I think every couple, even if yeah, they yeah. don't have troubles, needs like marriage counseling mm-hmm. just so you can be proactive in a lot of things. And I, I wouldn't, I would even be for myself going to therapy sessions, even though mm-hmm. I don't really haven't been diagnosed with anything. Yeah, I don't think yeah. I have anything, but I would be very open to the idea of doing it. So, like, how do you think we could um, get to that place? So, I think. Part, there's, there's there's so many aspects of it to it. I think one is obviously, you know, having a generation of parents, mm-hmm. generation of both mothers and fathers that are more are thinking more and more open about trying to break away from what we call like traditional masculinity and trying to fulfill, making sure that kids have an environment where they feel safe, feel respected, and feel loved, and that sort of stuff. That's mm-hmm. a huge thing, and you know. Uh, this is this is something that cuts across like all spectrums of society, whether, mm-hmm. whatever culture, ethnicity, whatever income class. Like there are kids that feel that don't feel that way mm-hmm. in, in, in every strata of society. So I think that's one big thing. The second I think is like is how the media portrays uh, men and people, uh, mas- like masculine figures, dealing with their issues and that sort of stuff. And I think that's changing a lot. I yeah. think we're seeing in the last like five years a lot of these things are changing um it was, it's really cool because i'm a big basketball fan and the last two years we've had a bunch of players like high profile players come out and talk about their mental health struggles and like demar Derozan, the mm-hmm. raptor favorite yeah came out about that about a year and a half two years ago and then we had kevin love and a few other players and i think you know boys especially mm-hmm. uh, they look up to these you know ath- athletes they look up to all of these people that they watch day in and day out that play in front of the tv or wherever you're watching mm-hmm. um and that makes a huge difference and i think obviously given this the the reaction the kind of uh the critical reaction to demar DeRozan making that first step and saying like oh wow no one's ever done this before and maybe there have been at, at mm-hmm. some level but i think there's a real tide turning in terms of the people that kids look up to and respect in the media mm-hmm. uh, and it could be it doesn't have to be basketball. It could be, and I'm not sure how it is in some other sports because I'm not. I don't follow them as much. Yeah. But that makes a huge difference. And having, and growing up in a society where they see those types, different types of representations, they see those different types of people opening up, up, mm-hmm. opening up, and then having you know parents that will support them and all that sort of stuff. I think is a huge, huge will have a huge effect. That's the biggest effect that you could have. Yeah. Um, I'm also, uh, yeah, yeah. So like male role models that yes. you look up to. I, I definitely agree. Like people that I looked up to and wanted to start this podcast were like Justin Baldoni, Terry Crews, um, like Ryan Reynolds. I think they're they're like the three guys that really come to mind in terms of 
changing the perception of what it is to be a father or like a man in um, Hollywood mm-hmm. in very different ways. Like I, I read Terry Crews's book called Manhood, um, which is a really fantastic book about, you know, how he moved through his childhood in Flint to his relationship with his father, to his relationship with his mother, to becoming a football player, how he went through that, his failures, how he treated his wife in the past, mm. um, you know, how he got into the movie scene. Like, it's it's a very open book about how a lot of his behaviors were toxic and how mm. he moved through it. Um, and, like, you know, Terry Crews, if you're listening, I, I really <laughs> want to get you on this podcast sometime. So, you know, have your publicist reach out to me. Just a shout out. Just a shout out. You know, I, I've read your book, so... Um, like I, I definitely agree that there has been a shift in a lot of uh, behaviors of men, which I've really liked, and I'm like, yes, finally we're admitting that. However, do you think there is something wrong with traditional masculinity? Because like one of the things I want to talk about in this podcast is how masculinity is different for everyone, mm-hmm. and you know, you can think of someone like Demar Derozan who's very open about his mental health, mm-hmm. and then you look at a guy like Kawhi Leonard who's very stoic and he doesn't really show a lot of emotion. Yeah, yeah. He's like, act like you've been there before mm-hmm. unless it's a moment you haven't experienced. Is there anything wrong with that? Like what is traditional masculinity? Sure. I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with those types of characteristics, those types mm-hmm. of traits. I think one of the big things that I would say about traditional masculinity uh, is that like rugged individualism, which mm-hmm. is, kind of like a myth that we perpetuate across like it's been like years of this whereas where like i said before like having the idea that you don't need to rely on anyone else and that i think that's a big trait that has i think it's has roots in you know historical american society but mm-hmm. is you know has bled over to like many other places in the world including here uh and i think that is one of the big things that i would say i'm not a fan of in terms of like I said before, not being able to be supported by other people and not being feeling comfortable to be supported by other people. Mm-hmm. If you as a person are uh, are he- mentally healthy, mentally self-assured, mentally confident uh, by being individualistic, I think that's fine. And I think that as long as whatever gets you to those you know, positive characteristics are, are great, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel... I feel like rugged individualism taken too far can lead to a lot of toxic traits Mm -hmm. that uh, can lead to other problems, societal, maybe not necessarily like the the gravity of what we talked about earlier in terms of mass shootings, but lots of other issues that, you know, men face in in their lives and that sort of stuff. So I think, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with certain parts of traditional masculinity, but I, I don't feel like, I think also one of the big things about when we talk about traditional masculinity, it's like, uh, I don't think we should be putting people, trying to force people into one box. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you talked about this is that, you know, everyone needs to be in different places to that make them happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like traditional masculinity is like a specific box of characteristics. Uh, and it's not like there's like, a, like let's say a, a set of 10 things that make it traditional masculinity, but it's kind of like, you know, it when you see it mm-hmm. or like, you know, it when you hear about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm not a fan of everyone having to be, like to, to get into those yeah. spaces when you can have lots of different ways that you could be happy. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, that's, that's one of the, one of the, definitely one of the things I wanted to talk about throughout this <laughs> podcasting journey is, you know, I, 
I think how men deal with certain issues is fine as long as they consider it healthy to them. Mm -hmm. So like if someone feels much more like they can go through life answering questions, these deep questions to their own and getting through things alone, then they should be able to do it as long as it's not causing negative effects in other aspects of their life. But are we... So I think there are many people that can be happy being alone, but are we supposed to be alone as like humans? That's like a big question that i've always thought about i think you bring up a good point like you can still be happy but are humans like we we are communal creatures yeah we that's how we've evolved that's how we've we always exist existed in groups uh i think there's something i think there's something very uplifting and healthy about being embedded in a community being embedded within these networks of people that support you and I, i i'm not I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. Do you see what I mean, though? Like, yeah. But to me, it's not like you're alone mm-hmm. or going... Like, you can still have people around you to support you, but mm-hmm. people that they don't have to know what you're going through um, in order for you to work through it. Yeah. I guess that's more what I mean yeah. in the sense of going through things alone is that, you know, if you are someone that can deal with things without having to go to anyone else, mm-hmm. and it's not because you, you know... A lot of people don't go to someone else because they feel like they could be a burden. If, if if you're really just dealing with things alone because you know that's how you work, then I think you should be fine with that. Mm. Um, there's like a, I just hate this idea behind, you know, stoicism is a wrong emotion mm-hmm. or it's like um, you can't, you, you have to cry to be a man nowadays. Yeah. It's like no. there's masculinity isn't like a one paint color. It's like mm. all the colors in the circle, if not more, like there's an infinity amount of, ways that men can be mm-hmm. um and as long as you're doing it in a way that works for you and is healthy for you then that's more i guess yeah my point yeah um definitely agree with that yeah and so like if in the sense of traditional masculinity you know if if you want to be like to me strength isn't something i care about like like physical strength physical, physical strength yeah, yeah, yeah um you know if i go to the gym one of the reasons i hate going to the gym is because i don't like lifting weights because I'm, I don't care about strength. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be healthy, mm-hmm. so I'm much, I want to be much more active. Like I'd rather be going hikes or something, or maybe do kickboxing. But like physical brunt strength mm-hmm. isn't something I care about, mm-hmm. and it's something a lot of guys care about. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, like, even though Terry Crews, he talks about in his book about um, how strength was a definitive aspect of how he felt he could keep people safe. And his parent mom safe. Mm-hmm. Like he had to be the biggest guy so that he could keep people safe. And now as he's transitioned, now he just likes the gym. Like he he understands that it's, he doesn't go to the gym anymore for really the unhealthy, unhealthy aspect of being fit. Um, and so, you know, I think there's things that are unhealthy that can become healthy in terms of like yeah. what kind of Terry Crews went through. Um, so I just find that really fascinating about the way media paints this one size fits all idea of masculinity. Mm -hmm. And even in conversations with a lot of, so like, you know, I think with, there are men have to listen to women a lot more about what may be healthier, Mm -hmm. but I don't think women should be exactly like the main reason why men change. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. 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 I think, we need to develop for ourselves, like, what is healthy, yeah. I guess, in that sense. Yeah. I, I, I see what you mean, though. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I definitely think that um, 
there there is this like idea of you need to just be you mm-hmm. and that is the healthiest way to create healthy relationships yeah yeah agree uh, you have a face i i think <laughs> you need to be you but you could be influenced by I don't know, I feel like I'm just going to digress into it, like another like Yeah, like point. you 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 can still be is can yeah. still be unhealthy, right? Yeah. yeah. And you but, being you is an you're a product of everything around you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so maybe maybe I don't, I don't know. like as much as I like I love that phrase just be yourself. Yeah. It's also like it, you can never just be yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um but I definitely wanted to get so we I have a list of questions and so far we've just gotten to one cuz I I spun off a lot into the other ones. Oh wow, um, it's been a while. Yeah. But um in terms of uh your image like how important is your image to those around you either physical mental like what you wear like what how important is your image to the people that you surround yourself with what does the josh you wish you could be look like i guess the josh that i wish i could be or what i feel right now both my image. so in terms of image i don't i don't think i care as much as some other people about mm-hmm. my image per se like i don't i really don't care that much about clothing i have like fine nice clothing yeah but i don't i don't like go shopping for fashion i don't keep up with that sort of stuff mm-hmm. in terms of like my physical self-image i i'm less about like i i'm also the same i don't really go to the gym that much mm-hmm. I, I i have tried few times in spurts to like get back into it but i think more i would more rather just be like you said healthy active mm-hmm. like a healthy person instead of someone about my image um i think what i want is just to be respected uh for my ideas for my thoughts i think a big thing to me is like um my mind and like how like the ideas that I can contribute to society and the world is a big thing that drives me mm-hmm. in terms of my identity and who I want to be. And I think um, most people around me, I think, can see that. So that's a big thing, I think, mm-hmm. for me is to be in a place where uh, I can make a direct contribution to the world through the, like my thoughts and my ideas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that's why, you know, I, I like writing, you know, I have a blog. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a mix of random stuff, like mostly technical, but sometimes other stuff. Um, but, you know, I would love to, you know, write a, write books one day or I have a few projects, but mm-hmm. nothing ever like concrete yet. Um, but like being able to contribute to the world in that, in that way is something that probably drives me more mm-hmm. uh, than other, other types of self-image, I guess. What are things that you want to write about in the future? There's lots of things. I, I have floated, like I have worked on and off of different like fictional projects but mostly in uh mostly i've been reading a lot of nonfiction lately and mm-hmm. so a lot of the stuff that i've been thinking about writing has been in that vein something and i think a big thing that uh i've thought about is trying to and this isn't related to masculinity at all mm-hmm. uh is trying to bridge the gap between what people know about statistics and science and that sort of stuff those are two things that I'm very passionate about and like trying to bridge the gap to the wider public mm-hmm. uh, in ways that are accessible to people. And, and I think a lot of complicated ideas and thoughts are so abstract to people that they don't know how to 
uh, connect with it or mm-hmm. learn about it because it just it just seems too far removed from them. But I think there's lots of ways where we can present that sort of information to people uh, in a way that that interests them mm-hmm. or that is accessible to them. And I think that makes a huge difference because we're seeing so much in the world right now about the, the gulf between science, academia, and the public and people not believing uh, stuff like climate change, people not believing in all these sort of big problems that we have in the world or even little problems. Uh, and I think that's something that's been interesting to me a lot lately. Mm-hmm. But as you know, I've always been interested in politics. I could, I could see myself writing about that sort of stuff too. But I yeah. don't have anything, anything concrete there. I have probably better ideas in other areas, but yeah. that's something that... I was, I was really about to, I was going to close off this um, podcast with saying, Josh, the future prime minister of Canada. No, I, I don't know. I think he has a shot, folks. I'm, I'm predicting right now. He has, a, he has a good chance of, if he ever wanted to go into it, I'd vote for him. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 have, I have one vote now. Yeah. I have one vote now. I mean, grassroots, right? That's, <laughs> grassroots. That's all, yeah, that's yeah. all you need. Uh, but go, I guess going back to your reading, I, so I know um, from your list and everything and following your reading for the last... I guess it's been three years mm-hmm. at least. Um, you try to open it up to reading from both uh, men and women. Yes. Um, try to make it. I believe you try to make it fifty-fifty. Yes. Um, and so, what has that taught you in the in the language that men and women use mm-hmm. regarding re- research or or sharing ideas? Like, I'm really mm-hmm. f- actually fascinated in, in what your analysis is of yeah. that. So yeah, um, when I first started, so I've always been a reader, but then I kind of stopped until around. 2015, 2016. And then I started reading a lot. And after that first year, I realized after tracking uh, all of the, so I track the authors, I track their gender, I track where they come from, all that sort of stuff. I realized that, you know, there's a huge gender skew in the things that you read. Like, so the books that you've read this year, you've read something like, yeah, how, how many were men? How many were women? Uh, I think I read 10 books. Um... Maybe zero from women. Yeah, and that's and that's normal. Like yeah. n- not normal as in it should be normal, but that is a very common thing. Is that a lot of people, both men and women, read a lot of men, and there are lots of women authors in all fields. Uh, and so I realized that um, there's something going on where we end up reading more male authors, uh, whether it's you know the types of books that the publishing companies are pushing, the types of things that people are drawn to, the types of topics. There's, there's, there's a, huge, a bunch of things there, but I wanted to make a concerted effort to try mm-hmm. to fix that sort of gender gap, if you want to call it. Yeah. And so the last like three years, I've really been able to get almost 50-50 every single year. Um, and I think in terms of what has taught me is that there are so many books that people consider as must-reads that are male authors uh, and that's not to say like so if you talk about like literature for an example I, it's kind of understandable but before like the night like before the night like before the 20th century mm-hmm. uh, there weren't as many like female authors and the problem is that there there are in some periods like in the victorian area and you know in the early 1600s there are, were a lot of women authors but they just kind of been they weren't recognized in the immediate period following them being popular mm-hmm. and so because of that they kind of get lost in time and so i i've, I've part of me is that i have to actually dig more to mm-hmm. find more women authors and i'm not sure what is causing it there's lots of you know probably systemic issues that are mm-hmm. happening there but uh i think there's so much that we can learn from all the different perspectives and that's always been a big thing mm-hmm. for me uh and so 
even though I may not like read, I won't get to as many of like the traditional classics that you see in like literature and that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. Over uh, right now, I think over time I'll eventually get there because I, I have a whole lifetime yeah. for reading, uh, and I'll, I'll get to everyone eventually. But yeah. I, I wanted to make a concerted effort that I would read more women, and that actually that also leads to the fact that I think when the last time I pulled the stats is that a lot of, because of me trying to balance the two genders, the skew of the year of publication is much like closer to the present day with women authors than mm-hmm. it is for men authors. And that's mostly because like women don't, didn't have, weren't published as much. They weren't recognized as much as writers, whether mm-hmm. it's in nonfiction or fiction, that sort of stuff. But I think now in terms of like books that are published in the last, since the last 50 years, I'd say in la- really in the last 20 years, like mm-hmm. from the 2000s on or in the 90s or a bit as well is that you can find for every topic for every type of story genre and that sort of stuff uh there are lots of women authors to pick from mm-hmm. and i feel like uh people say oh well there's just no women authors that i would want to read uh or like like i've heard of that interests me or whatever but especially when you're talking about books released in the last like 30 years there's so many options like, yeah. so many options and i think yeah, there's just there's so, so much for you to pick from. So I, I don't. I think it requires at the beginning a concerted effort, but once you start thinking about it, it becomes kind of natural. I kind yeah. of just been naturally like looking at you know where I am in terms of balance, and then always like picking yeah. you know, female author versus male author. Okay. Sort of stuff. Yeah. I was gonna ask off that like um, in terms of the genres that women are more popular in, but mm-hmm. you kind of addressed it mm-hmm. at the end there. Um, so kind of what have been the, the different things that you've noticed in the style of writing from women versus men. Like, I know it's uh, typical that, you know, men can be, come across a lot more confident in their research. Do you feel like there's an issue between, uh, you know, women are more like, this is mm-hmm. hypothesis and men are like, this is fact? Or, or like, what is your, like, some of your, your understandings of, of that? I've heard that a lot in terms of, like, self-assurity and confidence in men versus women. Mm-hmm. And you hear that a lot in terms of, like, like there's lots of research in terms of negotiations between like women in the office and men in the office and that sort of stuff and getting promotions and stuff like that. In terms of writing, I honestly, and lots of people say like, oh, I can definitely recognize this is a women author and a male author. But I honestly uh, haven't recognized anything or at least internalized or reflected enough Mm -hmm. to say that like, oh yeah, there are certain characteristics that make men writers and women writers. I think in terms of, especially in nonfiction, um, I find that there really isn't, I think there's not that much difference in terms of that. Okay. Uh, I think I read a paper a while ago about that exact topic, and I think people are really bad at, at trying to identify male versus women authors in writing. And even though like we kind of have a subjective sense about, yeah, this is probably a male author, mm-hmm. we're actually really bad when we actually like put it up to scrutiny. Okay. And honestly, because I've read, like, I think almost 300... 250 to 300 books since like 2016 yeah. and i don't all of that 50 50 i don't think I, I could say given like the breadth that i've read uh, i wouldn't say that there's anything stylistic about women versus male authors but that's just my perspective yeah i, I don't know okay interesting uh, yeah, yeah okay that's fascinating because i just i was just like curious about that just yeah, yeah. based off of you know the male women negotiation thing so yeah, i was yeah. wondering if there was a, a difference that you noticed but not that i can tell i think i i, I haven't reflected enough on this but i think that there's been a lot of written about how men and women like male and women authors uh write relationships and write mm. the other gender uh and i i don't know if i have enough opinion on that because 
maybe I just uh, I avoid maybe bad authors. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I, I haven't read enough to say anything about that. But I've, I've definitely seen a lot of people write about that, about how, you know, men are not very good at writing women and women mm. are not very good at writing men just because, you know, obviously our perspectives are very different. Yeah. Uh, so that's probably one big thing in terms of writing. But I haven't personally noticed it, but I know lots mm. of people have. So that, I know that for sure. Yeah, because I know in emails, too, I think I saw like a month ago that... Um, in emails in the workplace, women are a lot more passive and mm. they use a lot more like exclamation marks. Mm-hmm. Um, and men use like periods a lot more. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that stylistically and, and, and maybe it's more because it's um, one is more like professional writing and the other one's more mm. like, you know, emails are professional obviously, yeah. but there's maybe more emotion trying to be shared so, than sure. in, in an, yeah, yeah, yeah. like a nonfiction book. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's funny because you mentioned use exclamation marks. I, I overuse exclamation marks, I think, in my emails. So. 100% me too. <laughs> like I've had to – whenever I write whenever I write an email at work, I if I'm drafting one, my boss will look at it after and he'll be like, Put that, make that a period. Make yeah. that a period. Yeah, I, yeah. I, no, no, I'll, like, I'll do a first pass of writing. I was like, wait, every sentence ended in exclamation mark. Yeah. It just sounds like I'm shouting. But <laughs> I know. I know. With me, it's just like – with me, it always means my uh, my sentence ends in excitement. That's all it means because I'm actually excited yeah, yeah. when I when I write something. So um, sometimes I if it's like a if it's like a thank you email nowadays, I don't sometimes I don't show my boss as much because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like there's an email I'm like oh, there's <laughs> exclamation marks and I want to show how much like I'm I'm thankful for yeah, yeah, yeah. meeting these people or how much I'm thankful for them coming. Yeah. Um, so he uh, it's pretty funny. I, I, <laughs> I overuse exclamation marks 100. Um, percent And then. Okay, so we've gone very off track from my original questions, but I love it. This yeah, is way good. better. This is way better. It's much more about you. So sure. Um, in regards to, hmm, let me figure out what question I want to ask Ness. Uh, in terms of masculinity and manhood, where or what would you say your biggest insecurity is? If you don't want to answer this question, that's also fine. I'll just edit it out. Let me think about it. Biggest insecurity. I think there's minor insecurities. Mm-hmm. It's definitely like, uh, like not being a good parent, not being a good father, I think is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably one insecurity I might have, even though like uh, I've had other people tell me that I would be a good dad uh, and that sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. I think it's always like, you know, raising a child is, is hard. Yeah. Raising a child is a huge responsibility. Raising a child can have huge impacts. Like the, what you do throughout their life because of huge impacts on their outcomes, their, mm-hmm. like the types of lives they lead. I think that's probably one thing that I, I, I wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't say it's an insecurity in the sense that I think about it a lot, but it, it comes up every now and then. Yeah. Think about, you know, cause you, you know, you always want the best for your children and it's such a, it's such a long, period of time well it's well their whole their whole life right like you'll be there even if they're not a child anymore they're not 18 like they're they're older than 18 or whatever they've they've left but you're still a parent Mm -hmm. and i think that is a huge responsibility because of the length of time and the length of uh the, the different lights that you see your parent in, obviously, mm. I think has a huge impact. So that's probably something mm-hmm. I think about, but I wouldn't say it's a huge thing. I think in lately I've been more self-assured, more confident in myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the middle of university, I struggled with like 
some mental health issues and that sort of stuff. Uh, but in the last year and a half, I've been doing really well. And so I wouldn't say I have anything that leaps to mind right now, but I probably do. And I just, you know, yeah. burying it underneath, you know, I think that all, all of us do that. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't worry. Like that one, that one's probably one of the most difficult questions yeah. that I ask on the show. Yeah. Um, just because it is one that's like, oh, this is my darkest, but this is potentially my darkest secret. Like mm-hmm. this is probably the thing I think the worst about myself. Mm-hmm. So I just ask it just in case and I can always post at it. Um, so my next question is, you, you know, you, you say you never felt more self-assured and or you've never felt this, you haven't felt this self-assured in a while. Um, how much would you say you love yourself? I guess in the holistic idea of, of loving yourself. It's hard to quantify. It is hard to quantify. <laughs> it's not a, it's like by definition, not a quantifiable thing. Yeah. Uh, I think I would say I, I love myself enough in a, in a sense that I'm happy and I'm healthy, I think in terms of my self-esteem and my mm. self-confidence and that sort of stuff. I think the last year and a half, I've been really, you know, I've been doing, I've been doing a lot better in school. I've been like doing really well at, the jobs that I've had and that sort of stuff. And I think that's helped a lot. Uh, and as well as like, you know, finding a hobby, which is reading that I really enjoy, which I find a lot of self enjoyment in. And because of all those things, I feel like I'm happy, like m- more happy in the place that I am now mm-hmm. than I was probably three years ago or yeah, three years ago. Um, so I say that. And as well as I think, you know, I've been, in a relationship, long like long term relationship now for two and a half years, more than two and a half years, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's been a huge impact on my self happiness, my self confidence, and having that partner with me through this whole time has been great. Yeah. So I think that that makes that definitely makes a difference for myself. I think that doesn't mean that like I like you need to be like any one person needs to be reliant on another partner, but mm-hmm. I think in terms of compared to where I was at that period of time before. And I am now that has it had a huge impact on like my state of mind and that sort of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Cause one of my questions is I think uh, like what are and have your relationships been like? So if you want to, do you want to go into more into um, your current relationship? Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, my girlfriend that I've had for two and a half years is Michaela. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, it's been, ours is a kind of a unique relationship um, mm-hmm. in that, I've known her for a really long time. We swam together from when I was younger. Uh, like when we met when I was probably twelve or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I've known her for more than ten years now. Um, we were in the same group all throughout high school. And then when I went to university, when I went to Waterloo for first year, she came a year after. And so we just kind of ended up uh, together after that. And so during high school, we were like there's. A group of us that were all like really close friends mm-hmm. uh and so she's been you know my closest one of my closest friends for so long and so i think that especially you know when we first started dating at a time where i was probably a bit more rudderless a bit more uh not as mentally healthy mm-hmm. having that person that i've been comfortable with for so long having that person that i've like uh opened up to before and that sort of stuff i think it was it, it definitely made a difference because it's a different you set off a relationship on a different footing, mm-hmm. I think. And so I think that definitely uh, has had a huge impact on, like, like your previous question about, like, my mental state and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Uh, and so I think our relationship is a bit unique just because I've known her for so mm-hmm. long. Uh, 
because you know we're getting to near the end of university but i've you know i've known her for 11 almost 11 years now so which is like mm-hmm. really long really long. yeah yeah long time yeah yeah um where do you think your next stage of growth will come from and like you've been in a relationship i know this is your final semester or yeah final, final semester final, final semester of school um so in terms of your your own growth right now where where do you think your next stage comes well i think i'm gonna be taking another step into full-time work i've worked a lot mm-hmm. uh, worked a lot throughout university because of co-op and taking terms off to work even more that's why mm-hmm. i'm graduating later um so i think the next big step for growth personally will be wherever i end up so right now i'm thinking of uh where i want to live uh right now like i'm thinking of like staying here or ontario toronto kind of area mm-hmm. or going to vancouver or going to other places and so there's a lot of up in the air and saying that 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 big step uh this this previous summer i was living in vancouver uh and that was an interesting time because it's the first time you really like i was i moved like i had never moved anywhere with mm-hmm. no one you know when you move to university you move with no one essentially yeah. even though like i knew a lot there was actually a lot of people from markham that yeah. came to waterloo slash lorry but uh, it's not just that because you, when you move to university in first year, you're surrounded by other people that are in the exact same situation. And in that situation, you make friends very quickly, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's why we designed school to have dorms in first year and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's different than in the summer. I know lots of other, I've had lots of other peers that have done that before that have moved somewhere, but I've never done that. And so that was, I think it was a big growing step. I don't think I've properly quantified or reflected enough on like what I've taken from this whole experience, but I think Moving permanently somewhere, if I do do that, if I do take that step and don't move, if I go somewhere other than, let's say, Ontario, that will be a huge area of growth. And I think whatever job I do, um, I always feel like I grow so much on every job, mm-hmm. like intellectually, in terms of learning all these new things, because uh, working in data science, you kind of, you are in an industry that changes and learns so much. So I think that'll be a big thing in terms of my personal growth. And I, even if... The intellectual stuff like the the job related stuff isn't i would say directly tied back to masculinity it mm-hmm. always informs like the experiences you have the coworkers you have the culture that you're in the types of things that you learn how you learn it influence a lot of the other more subtle traits that you have as a yeah. person yeah uh, yeah no I definitely i definitely think culture at the workplace is very important especially to me um you know it's interesting because um kind of in my job i work in events uh, and I'm on the operations, but like production side of it, which, um, you know, in, in my workplace, in my, in my office itself, it's like 11 guys or sorry, 11 girls and three guys. Mm-hmm. And so it, I don't know, like, I just love the energy of my office and mm-hmm. like, it doesn't make any difference to me that it's not like equal guys. I prefer yeah, yeah. that it's probably, <laughs> um, the way it is just because, like I'm with people that are very uplifting people and I enjoy that a lot. And it has definitely had a positive impact on who I am as a person. Like the, the, the company I work at is very um, self-assuring. Like they tell you what, what is, what you're doing well, what's good mm-hmm. about you um, things that you need to work on in your young professional career. It's a very like young place. Yeah. Um, and so I think it has helped me a lot in my manhood, a lot working with, um, you know, a lot of women, a lot of people that are older, figuring out and navigating that whole area mm-hmm. um, as a young man has taught me a lot about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like, you know, I, I, I really like 
wanting to ask that question because I feel it's very self-reflective on on where you think you're going mm-hmm. in the future. Um, and, you know, we talked about it, you know, we just got breakfast before this, but so we kind of talked about, about all those things that you just mentioned. Um, but yeah, I, I think growth, I talked about this with, with Gautam last week too, mm-hmm. um, is we always find it super frustrating when that people are like, oh, it's, you know, university days are the best days of your life. Yeah. And it's like every year, every new day should be the best yes, day of your life. I like if that. You work towards it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. why, like if your best days when you're, when you're 20, like 18 to 22 and you mm-hmm. live till you're 80, like that just sounds like <laughs> a really depressing life. Like that's like what's uh, 58 years of, yeah. of yeah. sadness. Yeah. Um, and so I really like the, the outset of, you know, you know, good days are behind me, mm-hmm. but better days are ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think another thing that I've always thought about, and it's one of the big motivations that I've had about, is like to keep up with reading. Is you always grow in some way from every book that you read. You always take new ideas, new thoughts, new reflections. If it's like fiction, for example, new thoughts on relationships, new thoughts on personality traits, that sort of stuff, or or uh, any anything, right? Mm. I think. And that's a thing that I wanted to keep doing once I leave university, even though I I probably it'll be easier for me to keep up, keep up with it. I find I actually read less while I'm in university versus like when I'm working because of the commutes and stuff like that, mm-hmm. because it's like a very regular time where I can read. And so I think even though it's not like a definite state, next stage relating back to your question, but what's my next, what's my next stage of personal growth? Mm-hmm. My hope is that I continue to do that throughout my life so that I'm always growing on a day to day basis, right? Like every day you learn something new, learn, mm-hmm. reflect on something new to keep you going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, I guess this kind of question is kind of similar, but um, what does your future look like to you? I don't think I have a, I wouldn't say I have a definite plan. I Mm -hmm. wouldn't say I have a definite, like, you know, I want to be in this role, Mm -hmm. period, when I'm 30. I don't want to be in this role. I want to be in this role when I'm 40. I think uh, for me, uh, I would like, I think, to be in an area where I can contribute to society, can I contribute to the world in some way, mm-hmm. create some impact using the skills that I have uh, in tech and data science and that sort of stuff. I, I want to eventually do that. Whether or not I do that right now uh, is not definitive, um, but I think that's kind of a general sense. And that's mm-hmm. it's, it's open-ended in a very intentional way because I don't, I care about a lot of different issues. I wouldn't say that I want to like pigeonhole myself. You know, I want to, you know, address this one thing mm-hmm. with the things that I can do, or I want to be in this one role with the things that I can do. I think I'm, I think I'd be happy when I die when I'm 80 or whenever. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, uh, if I am growing all the time and I'm able to contribute in some way, uh, and there's actually a really good book called um, uh, Doing Good Better, uh, yeah. Effective Altruism. We talked about that. Yeah, we talked yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, I think the, the author is William Maskell, Maskell, something like that. Okay. Uh, and he has a really good book. And I think he read it. Uh, yeah. I, I read it recently. Um, and it's talking about, you know, I think a lot of people, especially in our generation, there's a lot of research that talks about that, is we are maybe more more interested in doing those sorts of things. Like, how, how can I be more fulfilling in my career? And for a lot of people, it may be making an impact, but no one knows how to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that book kind of helps 
guide you through different thoughts about what you can be doing? Is there like a career that you can end up in where you can have the most impact, like multiplier of impact on the world in terms of making the world a better place? Or is it, what is a better path? Is it that? Or is it going in a path where you can make the most money or be most happy in your life that you mm-hmm. can donate that money to make the most impact? And so mm-hmm. that book is really good because it goes over all the different possible ways. It doesn't have to be like, I need to, you know, with like withdraw from the world, move to Africa, work for a nonprofit and like work with, mm-hmm. you know, kids that don't have sanitation. That's what, that sort of stuff. Like, even though that can be a route, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be. And so for, and I think that was a really good book because even though I've thought a lot of those things before, it's really good to have it in a very structured argument way to explore all the different options. Uh, so I really enjoyed that book because I think that's the similar ethos is that yeah. I would like to have an impact on the world in some positive way, but it doesn't have to be in a certain yeah. uh, a certain avenue. So I'm still kind of searching that out. My, like I really like that book too. And I one of my favorite things is that it really calls out organizations that don't tell you where your money is going yeah. in a lot of ways. It's like yeah. be transparent yeah. with yeah. what your money does. Because, you know, in a lot of cases um, – you know, with for example, ten trees. You know that your mm-hmm. your purchase money from your purchase is going to plant ten trees. Mm-hmm. So they know. Um, and but there's a lot of organizations out there where you donate money, and you're like, yeah. "What exactly did my money do? Yeah. I don't know." And so, and I think it was interesting you bring that up because uh, they also talk about how you know. I think a lot of people express that sentiment about you know I don't know where my money is going, and then there's. This, what the book is trying to argue is that there's a misguided sentiment that if most of the money goes towards administration, for an example, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not effective. Mm-hmm. What you need to look at is the actual thing that they're trying to do. So for an example, if we're talking about uh, an organization that is working on uh, masculinity, for example, or feminist issues and that sort of stuff, I would imagine that a lot of the the bulk of what your money is going to is staff like mm-hmm. it's going to be people mm-hmm. and it's not going to be let's say like like giving out clothing or yeah. like like installing water fountains and that sort of stuff so some things in terms of charity aren't necessarily uh quantifiable in the same way mm-hmm. uh and so the part of the like the research that william maskell and the rest of the effective altruism movement is like how can we quantify all these different things that people do because like you know there are some efforts where you just need staff people. to do at people yeah. to do it because like that's the avenue in which we can administer the most good yeah uh and so i think yeah it's definitely a really good book yeah. to, to it's like it is my money going to buy three notebooks or mm-hmm. is it going to actually put someone in a seat to help young men yeah yeah and i think yeah so is it like yeah am i paying for a staff that is going to help a thousand young men lead better better lives or mm-hmm. is it i'm giving money to it wouldn't be the same like, i'm yeah. giving money to get a hundred notebooks to kids right yeah like that multiplier is something that they talk about a lot mm-hmm. in that book, which I thought was really interesting. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Good. It's a good book. So definitely highly recommend it. Um, and then to close off, um, these are the three questions that I really want to ask everyone that's on the show. Um, so what was something that your father told you growing up that you really appreciated? I don't know if there's something... I can't think of a specific quote or anything. It's not mm-hmm. like something... I don't think he's the type of guy to like repeat like uh, like phrases and that sort of stuff. But I think when we talked about this at the beginning of the episode is that I think I've learned a lot from example from him. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's very interesting to me because my, my dad for the last... I don't know how long. It's been a long time. 
Uh, he's been leading a he was leading a divorce care group at the church that he attended, and then he moved to a new church, and now he's like involved in divorce care, like divorce support group, I think, mm. uh, for that church. And what's actually interesting is that he has been doing it for so long that he is one of the most experienced people in Markham, in probably the GTA, uh, in in that mm-hmm. area. And I've always I've always thought it was interesting. Like every Tuesday, he would like. Uh, he'd be going there for like the whole like after work the whole night and working with these people and I've always thought that it's that type of positive impact in that community that has always and we've talked about like that's something mm-hmm. that is driving my identity my driving my the things that I want to do and I think I've drawn from that not necessarily in the same way like I don't know if I'd want to be like in that space in terms of like relationships in terms of like uh, not necessarily counseling but like mm-hmm. that type of group work um, but I definitely think I, I've drawn a lot from that. And I, I like in terms of that, the idea of being loving and caring to your community, that type of example, I think I've drawn from. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say that's like one, there's no one phrase though, but I think that's okay. the biggest thing I've no, taken. That's good. Just he showed you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would say the same thing about my dad. I don't think he had a lot of one liners. Yeah. 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 Um, something you wished your father told you or showed you. I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I would say I'm a pretty well self-adjusted person, mm-hmm. so I, I I can't think of anything right now. Uh, and I, we talked about this is like like you don't have to have everything from mm-hmm. your parental figures, whether yeah. it's your mom or your dad. And so I think a lot of the the way that I am now has been influenced by so many other people as well. That I wouldn't say like I would I would have needed that from my dad. Mm-hmm. I would have needed that from my whatever my parents. Mm-hmm than because i've gotten it from somewhere else so i think so what i guess uh, let me phrase it uh, is there a lesson that you you have now that you wish someone told you earlier mm. actually yes yeah. so um see this isn't i think my parents always did a really good job of setting up uh or trying to set up uh, an environment where they always felt that uh i could share my thoughts and mm-hmm. like be supported but at the same time, when like I was struggling through a lot of the mental health issues that I had, uh, I didn't do that. Mm. I didn't uh, reach out to enough or share that with enough people uh, before things got too out of hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in reflecting back on that, I should have um, been more comfortable doing that. But I don't think that's necessarily a fault of anyone mm-hmm. i'm not sure that comes back to the whole rugged individualism right yeah. like the whole idea of like oh i thought i could keep doing it on my own um so i'm not sure yeah. I, I think in a in a very vague sense i wish i could have been told or not necessarily told because i was told so it's kind of hard right? you wish you bought into it i wish i yeah I bought into it, it more uh, yeah. or been more comfortable doing that with other people and that sort of stuff mm-hmm. but i think at the same time it's like because of that experience, because of that whole time, I think I'm, more, I, I've, I've learned mm-hmm. more how to do that. Uh, so in a sense, it all, it all worked out kind yeah. of. I, I've, I think I needed to have that experience to be the person that I am now. So yeah. in that sense, but I wish that I didn't have to have gone through that. Yeah. So, yeah, some in some way, I hope I wish that that could have worked out. But yeah, I don't know. Understood. But I wouldn't say there's anything like definitive about something my parental figures like could mm-hmm. have done because mm-hmm. I, I think that they did a really good job already of doing that. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It's kind of a 
it's kind of avoiding the answer while also we'll giving one. part one. Yeah. yeah, I have to, you know, as, since it's my only second episode, I have to figure out still how to word questions. So, how, like, that's yeah. what I'm trying to figure out how to do, too. Um, and then uh, what you'll tell your future children. Um, what you tell you. I don't know how I worded that. What would you tell? What would you tell your future children? Yeah. What would you tell your future children, or what's something you want to share with your future children, or you know, even just the people around you, if you choose not to have kids? Um, I think if I did have kids, uh, a big thing would be to always be open-minded, to always be curious, and to always be learning and growing. And I think. I think most kids are naturally like that, whether or not like that burns yeah. out at some stage because of teachers, because of other peers, because of parents or whatever. I think but nurturing that and telling my kid that it's always okay, like you always be open to new ideas, always be open to talking to new people, mm-hmm. talking to and learning from other people, I think is a big thing. Because I think for me, that's been a big positive influence on me is being yeah. having that mentality, having being able to do that uh, throughout my life. Has definitely been a big thing, yeah. so I definitely would tell my kid to do that uh, because uh, I think yeah. it, it it's too easy to become closed-minded and live in a bubble. I, don't know. I think there's been lots talked about that, given you mm-hmm. know all the stuff that's happening outside in society, and that yeah. sort of stuff, the election and everything. But that's something that I think not enough people truly uh, take to heart. Even though some people was like, yeah, yeah, of course, like you know, we open to open and tolerant, and you know all that sort of stuff. But I think that is something I would love to nurture. Yeah. I can definitely tell you from knowing you since high school that you probably are, if not, not probably, but you probably, no, I said probably can. You probably are. Yes, I probably yeah. I know, but I meant it that time. You probably are. Um, I'm going to fix some of that editing so I don't look like such an idiot. Um, <laughs> uh, you probably are one of the most open-minded people I've ever met in my life. Thank you. Just because even in high school, I remember you being really mature about being open-minded to certain aspects and you know there's there's things i know about you that like shock me about how open-minded someone could be um and i've learned a lot about that Mm. um from you well i'm i'm happy that you said that yeah Uh, thank you thank you yeah and you're someone that really pushes me to read a bit more and it's uh, good for you yeah it is good food for your brain food for your brain (laughs) and i always whenever you do a review i always read it um, and try to read the review. Read the review. And try to pick your brain a bit about exactly what you actually thought about, it, and you're always willing to uh, dive into the topic a bit more and explain your your thoughts and rationale. So, um, yeah, you're definitely one of my favorite people to talk to. Awesome. Uh, thank you. You you are definitely are one of my favorite people to talk to as well. Oh, thank you. I think you know you said something about always being someone being open to ideas. I think you are like someone that is probably the most open to ideas in, in my life. Because I feel very stubborn. Like I wouldn't. Okay, so <laughs> I say I think you are stubborn in some senses, but you're always open to listening to other people. Yeah. So you you have definitive opinions about certain things. Yeah. But you're always open to like hearing what other people have to say and that sort yeah. of stuff. And I, and I know I know that you know that's the reason why you're having this podcast or the reason why you're doing all this sort of stuff. So I, I've always felt that about you. So thanks, bro. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like the whole reason I wanted to get into this is because in the last two years. I've been very stubborn about, you know, bad guys are bad guys and good guys are good guys. And I've realized, like, that's not the case at all. Even um, my buddy who I stayed with this weekend, I told him, I'm like, you know, before Japan, I never would have thought that someone like him would be friends like me with me because um, 
I was just like, this guy, he would never think yeah, I'm cool yeah. enough to be friends with him. Sure. But, and he, he literally told me, like, it was actually really interesting. We were at dinner and he's like, like the, the biases that we put in our own head mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like are, he's like, I would have never thought you would think that. Yeah. He's like, I would, it would never even occur to me to think that you're not cool enough to be my friend. Mm-hmm. But that's something I always struggled with. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause he's, you know, he's a really cool guy, very handsome. Um, and I've always struggled with the idea that I'm not like that. Mm-hmm. And so I, therefore I'm not worthy to be their friend. And then I hold anger against them yeah, yeah, already. Yeah. And so through the last few years, I've really worked through a lot of that. That's good. And like, that's, I want to understand what guys are going through, which is one of the reasons I'm like, you know, screw toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like the term, just call it unhealthy. Cause it's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. there's a difference between toxic and unhealthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone, no one's born toxic. No, you're, sure. but you're, you're, you're developed to be unhealthy. Um, and that's kind of what the whole conversation is. So I appreciate you saying that, but, um, Josh, uh, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. The podcast. <laughs> Thanks for um, having me. This has been fun. This is a good fun. talk. So, no, no. Um, you'll probably be uh, probably be on again at some point. I would imagine. Hopefully, when you're prime minister mm-hmm. in ten years, I'd I don't know about that. that. We'll I'd see. love to uh, to have a prime minister or be known to have a prime minister on my show. So, thank you very much for coming. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, everyone, so much for tuning in. Um, this podcast is now on uh, iTunes. Spotify, Google Play, and a few more. Please leave any feedback uh, for me as I try to continue on this journey. I want to make sure that I'm producing the greatest content possible. And as I'm new, I'm really looking for feedback on on how to do that. Uh, If you want to be on the show or have topic ideas, message me on Instagram at The Imperfect Pod. And please remember to leave a review on iTunes. Um, It really shows the support for the project that I'm doing.